So this, this morning, um, I want to chat with you real quick, switch gears, talk about Christmas here specifically. Um, I'm a fanatic of Christmas. I, I, make, uh, I don't even try to hide it. Um, maybe a little bit because I start really early. Uh, in fact, actually, I, I start, I'm going to be honest with you, confession, I start listening to Christmas music the day after Labor Day. I'm not even lying to you. I have chair time every morning down in my office. Uh, I have a green chair that I sit in, and the day after Labor Day, I open up my computer, I, turn up, I open up Spotify, I put on Chris Tomlin's Adore album, I sit in my chair, and I open up to the book of Luke, and I just read. And, and I, I, I'm just so, I'm so excited for it. I love it, and I love the decorations and the busyness and all these sorts of things, but my favorite part of this entire season really is rereading the story of Christmas. Because it's really cool to watch something or to read something where you already know what happens, right? You think about it, we have traditions that we all take part in year after year. We all watch the same movies, all right? I watch Elf and the Santa Claus and Miracle on 34th Street and Christmas Vacation, all these sorts. I, I know what happens, but I do it. And, and there's something funny or something that I find funny or interesting or a touching moment every single time that's different. And that's no different than when I read the Christmas story. And this year was no exception for that, and that's what we're going to talk about. So what I want to do real quick this morning is I want us to imagine all right, our lives as this tree for a moment. Everything has a place. Everything has a place. But let's rewind for a second. Think about this. Isn't it amazing how we all have a desire to make sense out of everything that we encounter? Every life event. Have you ever thought about that? That we have a desire to kind of put everything together nice and neat. It doesn't matter whether you're a child, you could be a young adult, you could be an adult, you could have a family, you could not have a family, you could be married with children, you could uh, be a grandparent, you could be a long years, whatever it may be. We all have this desire that's innate within us to make sense of everything. This isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a religious thing. This is just something that's within us, naturally. And, and we learn from a very young age that for every action there is a reaction. All right? There are consequences to our behaviors. All right? If you do not eat your dinner, you don't get dessert. Now personally, I don't struggle with either of these things as you can tell, um, which is why I'm not wearing an ugly sweater today because every sweater when you're my size looks ugly. Um, I'm just going to be honest with you there for a second. All right? But here's the thing. Everything in our lives, we, we want to try to place on the street and we want to keep it nice and neat. And we have this desire to kind of connect the dots and make sense of all these seemingly random events within our life. We want to find meaning in everything that happens. But what about when things don't seem to fit, right? So on, on the tree, we have uh, things like we, we meet the one and we get engaged. Those are good things. We plan for those things in our lives. And then we get married and we, we get a home. And then we go to start a family and, and we get our job and maybe we get a promotion and, and we, we finally can afford to build the white picket fence and go on that dream vacation. All these sorts of things, these moments in our lives, we can, all find, we can find a way to fit them in nice and neat. Maybe it's graduating from high school or from college. Maybe you get your master's degree, whatever it may be. We all have these moments in our lives that we try to make sense of and find purpose within. But what about the moments that don't make sense? What about the things that are hard to explain? You see, we have this plan, but at times we're faced with stuff that just, to be honest, just, it's not part of the plan. It's not part of our plan. The, the, so, so I have a couple things here. We have uh, illness. Maybe, maybe we were suffered 
or someone we know has come, with, come down with some illness, or, or we're suffering an unexpected illness, or uh, loss. We, we've lost someone that we love, and, and we just got to find spots to stick these. Addiction. You know what's interesting? I know a lot of students. I know a lot of students, and my wife knows a lot of students. And uh, from when I was a child and when I was a student myself, there's a lot of friends that uh, I grew up with um, that I tell you what, their goal was never to be an addict. No kid is waking up this morning and saying, you know what, my life goal is I want to be an addict. But yet it happens, and sometimes we have to find a way to deal, somehow we have to find a way to deal with it. Loss of a child. You see, when you start a family, no one plans on losing a child. That's no one's goal. No one, no one says, I want to start a family so that I can lose a child. And, and we have to try to make sense of that and find a spot on the tree where it's not going to fall. We have a, you lost your job. No one wants to lose their job, particularly around the holidays. We have, we have divorce. You know what's interesting? I stand up here on this stage and I've had the opportunity to minister to some couples as they get married. I've never once met a couple who was standing standing here making a commitment, making a covenant between one another and between God before God, that was actually thinking about the annulment. We laugh, but the, the reality is that's not what you do. You don't meet the one, go on dates and then get engaged and then plan this wedding and, and get married, but in the back of your mind, you start thinking about how you're going to get divorced. We don't do that. It doesn't make sense. But yet, here we are. It happens. So we have to find a spot on our tree where we can find, uh, find sense for it. We can make sense for it, if you will. And here's the deal, we're, we're trying to understand these things, and we say things like, everything happens for a reason. That's how we justify its placement. Or, I guess it just wasn't meant to be when a relationship doesn't work out. Or we say, it'll all work out in the end. But if you really stop and slow down and think about it, we can poke holes in those statements all day long. Really, it's, it's all going to work out in the end? You know that to be true? So, so here's an interesting question. As we step back and as we look at our tree, we work really hard to plan for the promotion in the family, in the job, and all, all these sorts of things. But we don't plan tragedy, okay? And how could you? But the question is this, is why is it that we have a strong desire to try to make sense out of that? Where does that come from? How do we, how do we make sense of this desire within us? Why do we have such a strong desire to find purpose and meaning? Stay with me. Why do, we have, why do we have this desire to find purpose and meaning behind every little thing that happens to us? You see, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we believe that everyone was made in the perfect image of God. That's what we believe as followers of Christ. We believe that everyone, every man, child, woman, was made in the perfect image of God, whether they believe in Him or not. A God that is purposeful. A God that sees all things. A God that knows all things. A God that brings order from chaos. A God that makes sense out of the unimaginable. And it's this desire within us. It's this desire within us that, 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 that kind of fuels that desire to... Um, makes sense out of everything. Does that make sense? It's, it's the fact that we were made within the perfect image of God that creates that desire within us to make sense of everything. It's that desire to connect the dots. This, this is a reflection of the image of God within us. It's not a bad thing. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we can go and try and be creator. That, that's not what I'm saying. This it's not what I'm saying at all. It, it, what I'm saying is that our desire, to, our desire to make sense of everything, our desire to make sense of all the things that don't fit nice and neat and tidy on the tree comes from the fact that we were made in the image of God. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of life. So it's natural for us to want to do this. But we still need to take comfort in not knowing. We still need to take comfort in being His creation. Because He is God, we are creation. The, the image of God within you is what tells you that there is a purpose and that there is a plan. We may not know what it is. We may not understand it in the moment. Sometimes things fit together nice and neatly and they work out according to our plan. But then there are times when we just can't seem to figure it out at all. And, and it's how we respond in these moments that determine whether or not we actually get to experience joy. It's not the tragedies that rob us of joy. It's our response to tragedy that can rob us of joy. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we find joy in our purpose. And to do that, we're going to take a look at the Christmas story. And it's found in the book of Luke. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles. There's one on every seat. Uh, to page 849, and it's Luke chapter 1. Luke is one of the four Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Interesting that Luke is the only one that actually has an account of the birth of Jesus. Matthew mentions it briefly, but doesn't actually give an account of any of the details. Simply mentions that Jesus was born. Mark goes right into ministry, and John goes right into ministry, the ministry of Jesus as well. Only Luke takes the time to go all the way back, in fact, before the birth of Jesus. Now, Luke's Gospel arguably is the most comprehensive of the four. Based on his writing, we know that he's extremely well-educated. Come to find out, as we read further through the New Testament in the book of Colossians, we learn that Luke was actually a doctor, so uh, the fact that it's extremely well-written kind of makes sense through that lens. Now, throughout the Gospel, another thing that's interesting is Luke makes it provide, um, has this significant emphasis on uh, not just Jesus, but the relationships that Jesus has with others. And in particular, women and their response to him. So, and that's why he begins the, the beginning of his gospel with a contrast between Zechariah and Mary. In the first few verses of Luke, we hear that Zechariah is a Jewish priest. He's doing the right things. He's saying the right things. He's, he's obeying the commandments. He's, he's found favor with God. We hear about Elizabeth, his wife, who's saying the right things and doing the right things, and she's also found favor with God. You see, they were righteous in God's eyes. But they didn't have a child, though they longed for one. Elizabeth was old, and she was unable to conceive. So one day, while Zechariah is in the sanctuary within the temple burning incense, an angel of the Lord appears to him. And that's where we pick up in Luke 1. We're going to start right at verse 11 this morning. It says, While Zechariah 
But Zechariah was in the sanctuary, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of his Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn, uh, turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. An interesting passage. And what happens next is really what's surprising. Zechariah was a Jewish priest, a Jewish priest, which means he would have known, he would have been extremely well educated in the history of the Jewish people. He would have known about Abraham. He would have known about his wife Sarah. He would have known that Abraham, like Zechariah, was well along in years and without a child. He would have known that Sarah was also like his wife Elizabeth, who was well along in years and was without a child. They could not conceive, but yet they did. God promised them something. And it happened. God was faithful in the midst of his uncertainty. Now here we are, Zechariah standing face to face with an angel of the Lord, and this is how he responds in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. You see, he responds with doubt. Not only does he question how it could happen, he wants to know how he can be sure it will happen. He wants proof. Think about this. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was a model citizen. He was a model of what it looked like to trust God and to obey God. And yet here he is, face to face with an angel, demanding proof. You see, it's easy to be faithful and obedient when everything has a nice, neat, tidy spot on our tree, isn't it? That's easy. But for those of you who may not know how the story ends, Zechariah, he does have a baby boy. But because of his doubt, he's robbed of some joy. He, he becomes mute until his son is born. Zechariah is made mute to the birth of his son, John the Baptist. But Elizabeth, who responds with gratefulness despite her old age, in her failed attempts at pregnancy, she responds with gratefulness and therefore she, she's filled with joy and excitement. So real quick, we're going to skip down to verse 26. So that's Zechariah. Let's take a look at Mary for a moment. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, God sent an angel to Gabriel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, we don't know a lot about Mary, but what we do know is this, that she is a teenager, more than likely, and that she's a virgin. Those are two things that we know based on this text. Her life is pretty much planned out for her at this point. She's going to get married to Joseph, who we don't even know if she's met at this point. There's a good chance that they haven't. 
They're going to have some kids. They'll live wherever Joseph decides. And no one, to be honest, is ever really going to remember them because they grew up in a little town in the middle of absolutely nowhere. That's what we know to be true about Mary. That is a safe assumption that we can make. But in verse 28, Gabriel says to her, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could possibly mean. Imagine for a moment what must have been going on inside of Mary at this point. Is this good? Is it bad? Why is there an angel here? What did I do wrong? You see, when I come home and Kate is sitting at the table, she never sits at the table, and she looks at me and says, we need to talk, what do you think starts going through my head? All right, did I feed the kids? Are the kids so, like, did I do something wrong? Did, did I not feed the kids? Did I pick them up from school? Did I, like, you start going through, like, all these possible scenarios. You start thinking of the things that you were supposed to do on your way home from work. Did I stop and get the groceries? Did I pay this bill? Did I, whatever. Right, you start going through all this. Okay, but the angel Gabriel interrupts that thought for Mary before it, it gives birth to all this angst within her. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel. His kingdom will never end. imagine you're in Mary's shoes for just a moment here. You're going to have a son, but you're a virgin. And then come to find out it's not just a son, like you're going to you're going to have the son of the most high God. The throne of the ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. How could she possibly believe this? And first, she responds by asking a question. A question any of us would ask in this moment. She says, but how can this happen? For I'm a virgin. That makes sense. But the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the Word of God will never fail. You see, what may seem out of place to us, what may seem random, what may seem like it has no place in the order of our lives, what may seem inconceivable is purposeful in the mind of God. In this very moment, when the timing was right, God put into motion His plan for the restoration of all things. And guess what? He uses us to do it. God uses us to move forward His plan of restoration. He used Zechariah and Elizabeth, and He used Joseph and Mary. Both complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You see, He doesn't just call some, He calls us all. And here's another thing. When the angel first appeared to Zechariah and then to Mary, this was the first time in 400 plus years that we've heard from God. I want you to think about that for a long time. That's a long time. 400 years of nothing, of silence. During that time, a lot had happened. The Babylonian Empire had uh, come to power and everyone thought that Babylon was 
forever. Babylon forever. Woohoo! Until it wasn't. They fell. Persia came to power. Persia forever. Woohoo! Yeah! Persia forever. Persia forever. And guess what? Alexander the Great came along. Greece forever. Greece forever. Until that split. And now it's the Roman Empire. And here we are in the midst of that. The, the rule of the Roman Empire. And, and here we have Mary living within this. 400 years of silence from God. That silence is broken by an angel of the Lord appearing to her, a teenage virgin. She's told that she's going to give birth to the Son of the Most High and that His kingdom will never end. And, and as she hears that, skip over the virgin part. Skip over that for a second. His kingdom will never end. What she knows to be true is that all kingdoms come to an end. It doesn't matter how great you are, how grand you are, it doesn't matter how amazing things may seem, it's going to come to an end. She doesn't believe this at this point, or she can't. How could she possibly? So when the angel said that, she must have been skeptical. It's natural to be skeptical. But look how she responds in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary responds with humility and with faith. Even though it doesn't make sense. Even though it was certainly not part of her plan. A very simple definition of faith is this. Belief that is not based on proof. A belief that is not based on proof. So let's look at the two responses that we've seen. Zechariah, the priest. How can I be sure this will happen? That's Zechariah's the priest. That's his response to God. How can I be sure? I need proof. That's not faith. Mary's response. How can this happen? Now these responses, they may seem awfully similar, but they are extremely different. They are on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Zechariah responds with demanding proof, but Mary responds asking a clarifying question. Like, alright God, but how? I'm, I'm a virgin. I trust you, I'm just not sure how this is going to work just yet. See, faith doesn't mean that you can't ask questions. And I think sometimes we feel bad when we ask questions of God. But that's okay. It's okay to ask questions. It's what we do with the answers or the answers that we do not receive that really tests our faith and, and, and uh, speaks to our character and who we are. Zachariah's response moved him further from God, whereas Mary's moved her closer to Him. Our faith should be moving us towards trusting God. Our faith should be one that's moving us towards trusting God. We do not need proof. We do not need all the answers. We simply need to trust Him. Mary didn't demand proof, nor did she know the details of what would be. Surely when she, surely when she said this, that here I am, I'm your servant, Lord, she didn't know how Joseph was going to react. She didn't know how her family was going to react. She did not know that she was going to have to ride 120 miles on a donkey down to little old Bethlehem far along in her pregnancy. And for those of you who have ever had a pregnant wife, set aside the donkey. A long ride in a car with air conditioning is treacherous. Alright? I think we overlooked that part. I mean, let's pray for Joseph here a little bit, right? That would have been difficult. Pray for Mary too. That would, that would have been really difficult. She didn't sign up for that. She didn't know that there would be no room in the inn. She didn't know that she would give birth literally in a stable and that her baby boy, the Son of the Most High, whose kingdom will reign forever, would literally lie in a manger amongst the animals. Think about that for a second. She didn't know any of that. She didn't know that Herod would try to kill 
her baby boy, and in doing so, killed, oh my goodness. She didn't know that one day her son would be taken from her, that he would be beaten to within an inch of his life, and then he would be nailed to a tree, and he would die a criminal's death in front of all the world to see. She also didn't know that on the third day he would rise and conquer death and sin and all that is broken in the world and restore the relationship between God and His creation. She didn't know that thousands of years later, Christians all over the world, week in and week out, would be gathering together in forums like this, proclaiming the name of God as Most High and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. She didn't know all this. She didn't know any of that, and yet she responded, here I am, God. I'm your servant. May it come true. That's faith. Our faith should be moving us towards trusting God even though we don't necessarily have all the answers. And it's my hope and prayer that when life doesn't make sense, that we can respond in the same way. Here I am. Here I am. After visiting with the angel a few days later, Mary uh, had went to go and visit with her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth told Mary that she was blessed because she believed the Lord would do what He said. And Mary was filled with joy, so she responded to God by singing praise. And this is what she said. She said, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He took notice of His lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call Me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and He has done great things for Me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones, and He exalts the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has set the rich, uh, sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For He made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to His children forever. Mary could have easily, easily ran from God's plan. I'm not sure how that worked out, but she could have. We look throughout the Old Testament, we see people that ran from God's plan and look how that worked out for them. Look at Jonah. He ran as far as he could go. Literally sailed as far as he could go, but yet he still ended up right where God wanted him to be. She could have ran, but she responded in faith. Zechariah didn't respond in faith. Sure, he wasn't able to speak for a while, but he still had the baby boy. God's promise still came true. John the Baptist did go on and prepare the way for the Lord. See here, I want you to hear this, church. I want, I want you to remember this. God's plan and God's purpose is not contingent upon our obedience. God's plan and God's purpose is not contingent upon our obedience. But do you know what it is? Our joy. We receive joy when we trust God and we pursue His plan for our lives. Not our own plan. When we pursue His plan, that's when we receive joy. So this Christmas, I'm going to invite you to receive joy. I know that for some, 
this time of year, it can be difficult, especially if you're dealing with loss. Man, I, I dealt with a significant period of loss in my life almost 20 years ago. And I'll tell you what, Christmas is still really hard. I get it. I understand it. But maybe for some of you, you've been handed something. You've been handed something that you weren't expected this year. I don't know what it is. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there's tension in your marriage and it completely blindsided you. Maybe there's something going on in your family or in your extended family. Maybe you were really hoping for that promotion and you didn't get it. Maybe you lost someone that you love. Maybe you're dealing uh, or grieving with someone that lost someone that they love. Maybe you received bad news about your health or about someone that you really care about. I don't know what it is. But now, here's the thing. You're faced with something that you didn't plan on, and here it is in your hand, and you got to try to figure out where it goes. But the fact of the matter is, we just want it to go away. We want to try to make sense of it, but at the end of the day, sometimes we just, we just need to get rid of it. We just need to let it go. We just need to let it go. Let God be God and do only what He can do. Because God can make a beautiful masterpiece out of all these broken pieces. And He will if you let Him. And that's how we find joy. There are times and seasons in our lives where it is extremely difficult to trust in God. It, it provide, we, we're in seasons sometimes of uncertainty in our marriage and in our families and in our careers and maybe in our future. The list goes on. And I don't know what it is you're facing in this moment, but what I do know is this. If you want to find joy in the midst of it, you need to pursue God's purpose for your life. So you're faced with a choice. Are you going to respond like Zechariah, the priest who demanded proof? Or like Mary, a lowly servant girl who said, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Use this pain. Use this brokenness. Use this uncertainty. Use this mess that I find myself in and may it bring glory to You and to Your kingdom and may it never end. May I find joy as I pursue Your plan for my life. That's the choice that we get to make this Christmas. We can pursue joy, but we need to pursue God and His plan for our lives. Father, we love You. 